go across the sea for me to see to my love there she goes above the misty hills to the clouds that are above she rides high on disco lights but i fear that she smells my fear I once danced in a rainbow below the earth Only once, but nothing was more clear That I must continue to fight for the divine Right to die the tunnel And as far to bright man It seems out of sight Hello, listeners. Hello. Hi. I'm Andrew. I'm Rachel. I'm uh, Cameron. And this is the um, Into the Backlog podcast. It most certainly is not. What is it? Armchair Apocrypha. That's right. This is Armchair Apocrypha, the show where armchair experts tell possibly true stories. Um, we were just talking about sequels off off microphone. Mm-hmm. Um, Cameron. Sequel yeah, we were too. talking... Uh, talking the el camino the breaking bad sequel which none of us have seen (laughs) uh earlier than that i was explaining the halloween sequels to rachel Mm -hmm. she was super interested in knowing (laughs) about the different timelines there are at least uh five of them if you count the rob zombie remakes jesus yep not enough if if you ask me i've seen all the halloweens except for the latest one so latest one's not bad latest one is not bad i'm i would say that every halloween sequel is unnecessary it's one of those (laughs) franchises where the first one is amazing, yeah. and none of the others live up. Enjoy it. You look at Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street, the first one's okay, and the others usually improve upon them. First yeah. Friday the 13th's pretty good. It's like the second and fourth are like the ones to watch. Right. Huh. I think that if you just had Halloween, Halloween 2, and Halloween 4, that would be a great trilogy. <laughs> I think it would be. Um, if it were just those movies. Yeah. Uh, my preferred Halloween timeline is Halloween 1, Halloween 3. That okay. is the anthology timeline. Halloween yeah. 3, for those that don't know, is entirely unrelated to any other movie in the franchise, save for one character is watching the original Halloween on television that night. Oh my uh, God. The yeah. pitch after the sequel, which was a direct continuation that took place like minutes after the first one ended, was, hey, there's really nowhere else to go with this Michael Myers character. Let's just put out a new horror movie every Halloween, call it Halloween, and just treat it like this is a big anthology series. And I think that's a cool idea. I think that would be a great idea. I just don't think that the Halloween series is it. Ah, maybe it wasn't. Yeah. But God, Season of the Witch is awesome. The same at uh, James Cameron. Oh, James Cameron. John Carpenter. John Carpenter. No, John James Cameron Carpenter. did uh, Piranha 2, the one where the piranhas can fly. That's his You're only correct. movie that he made. You're correct. The only movie that he's ever made. <laughs> Name one other movie James Cameron's done other than Piranhas 2. Avatar. The Last Airbender? Yes. With... <laughs> uh, the whitewashed one. Uh, this is a very special episode. This is our two-year anniversary episode. Oh, shit. We have been doing this for two years, and I'm very tired. Are you? How was your day? Very tiring. Yeah. You're still doing your FAFSA thing? We are still in the middle of FAFSA rush. Cheers. Uh, it was a Friday. I did not want to be there. Cheers to FAFSAs. Cheers. I think we've. I think our office has seen about 700 students this month. That's a lot. Uh, but it, it's been good. I've 
been helping a lot of students. I just had one student who is not a native English speaker, and I told him to come back after we were done with our FAFSA rush and we would help him look for scholarships. And he came back this morning while we're still in the middle of FAFSA rush. And was like, you told me to come back and we would look for scholarships. And I'm like, you came in as a walk-in, you did not make an appointment, and we're still in the middle of FAFSA rush. I can't really help you today. Make an appointment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Cameron has uh, luckily been getting more hours at his job, Woo-hoo. so he's almost up to 40 hours. Uh, yep, that's the good news from the job. Yeah. If you want to know more, I'm not going to disclose where I work, but a really good Business Insider article came out about another store in the company I work for, because we went through some company-wide shifts, yeah. and they're really not working. Oh, no. So if you want to look up Business Insider and then just start randomly guessing different retailers um <laughs> there's been a really juicy article that came out recently well now i'm gonna ask you about it i'll uh, tell you off air finish. yeah yeah i will not forget and, Ra- and rachel's store is always on fire without her so no they're doing way better now are they i'm putting the gauntlet down i think it's working good <laughs> we'll find out <laughs> Uh, so do you guys want to get into this week's episode? I'm ready. What order do we want to do it? Do I have no the idea. Best for last, Cameron? What am I here for? You're telling a story. Oh, okay. Something about sequels. I wonder why I had all these notes in this <laughs> phone I was looking I at. I want Cameron to go last. Do you want to go last, Cameron? Uh, that works for me. All right. Okay, cool. Do you want to go second? I do. Perfect. We just did this live on air. <laughs> um, have uh, I know, Cameron, I think you've watched Twin Peaks, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've seen at least the first two seasons. Have, have I you, haven't watched any of The Return yet. The Return is really good. I need to see it. Yeah. I need to see it. It's one of those things that I was watching, and now I'm watching with my girlfriend, so we have to work on our own schedules yeah. to yep. find time where we can both see it, and there are like seven other shows we've started and not <laughs> gotten to like that. It happens, yeah. Deep Space Nine, <laughs> What We Do in the Shadows. Have you seen The Good Place yet, the new season? Oh, we missed the last couple episodes, but we saw the first two. I haven't seen it. I haven't either. Um, it's good so far. I'm surprised it's gone, unlike last season, it's gone two whole episodes without completely shifting the entire status quo and going in a completely new direction. Give it a couple more. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Season Last season was insane. Every yeah, other episode was... We're changing the entire thesis of the, the program. Yeah. Have you seen Twin Peaks? I saw the first episode with Cameron in college many, oh, yeah. many years ago, and that was it. So yeah. We well, were uh, going to watch it, and then we, we were not watching or. It was probably with Ian, I think, or something like uh, that. Ian might have Ian's way into that stuff, too. So, I watched the first episode. A person, people listening, right, no. I couldn't even tell you what happened. Okay. I mean, there's a coffee shop involved. There, There is a diner involved. Okay. Yeah. Not it's a got coffee shop. Damn good pie and damn good coffee. Damn ah, good coffee. That's it, yep. Uh, have either of you ever heard of the murder that inspired the Laura Palmer murder? I heard that it was based on a true story. Yes, but it I, is. I'm not familiar. Uh, I don't know this one either. <clears throat> so this one takes place in Sand Lake in upstate New York. Okay. It is the murder of a woman named Hazel Drew. Oh, um, Hazel. I like yep. that name. She was 20 years old at the time. Uh, she was walking along a remote section of uh, Taberton Road. Uh, it was heavily wooded, and the stretch by Teal's Pond was popular with squirrel hunters, uh, campers, and fishermen looking for bait. Uh, she was, by all accounts, a prepossessing woman. Uh, she had her hair done up. She had bright blue eyes. Um, and at approximately 7.30, she encountered two men. PM or AM? Uh, PM. Okay. Uh, one of them was probably neurodivergent or um, on the autism spectrum uh, because the report said that he was, quote-unquote, dim-witted. Okay. 
Um, the other one was a farm hand. Um, uh, in her gloved hand, she idly swung a black trim straw hat decorated with three large plumes and a monogrammed pen with the letter H. H for Hazel. Uh, Hazel you and Frank. You didn't guess what the H was for. <laughs> <laughs> I should really give you all more uh, more time to. Jeez. Uh, uh, Hazel and Frank exchanged salutations. As the wagon moved on, Smith turned to Gundrum and said, That's old man Drew's oldest daughter. And this was the last confirmed sighting of Hazel Drew before she was found lifeless and bloated uh, four days later. Wait, when was this? This was in the 19... This was in 1908. Way back. Mm-hmm. Uh, she suffered a blow to the back of her head with a blunt instrument or weapon, um, but they were never able to de- deduct what what exactly the weapon was. Um, the water had distorted Hazel's features, and they had to identify her by her clothes and gold fillings in her teeth. Uh, the evidence pointed overlom- overwhelmingly to murder. Yeah, I would say so. It is still an unsolved murder. So don't they figure out who killed Laura Palmer in the show, but they don't figure this one out? They figure out in the show who killed Laura Palmer in season two, yes. But they have never discovered who killed Hazel Drew. And that's what we're here for. (laughs) We're going to solve it tonight. I have zero theories, so you all are welcome to speculate. (laughs) I think it was the log lady this time. Um, It was a what? The log lady. The log is a blunt weapon, yeah. That, that would work. Yeah. Um, the case attracted coast-to-coast press coverage for weeks at the time, including extensive coverage in the Washington Post. Hazel and her story would likely be long forgotten today, if not for one thing. The murder happened in the vicinity of Taberton, New York, where future Twin Peaks co-creator Mark Frost spent his summer vacations as a youth. Frost's maternal grandmother, Betty Calhoun, would spin yarns derived from local lore, including Hazel's murder, framing it along the lines of a a cautionary ghost story. Don't go out in the woods at night. Um, Frost inherited his grandmother's flair for storytelling, becoming an accomplished novelist, screenwriter, and television auteur, who co-created with David Lynch a storied 1990s ABC show um, that is now three seasons long, uh, called Twin Peaks. Yep. Uh, the murder of Hazel Drew, uh, was interesting to Frost because, um, she appeared one way to the people around her. Uh, I want to see if I can find the quote that was really good. Um, she had a double life, just like Laura Palmer. What? Tell me more. Uh, people thought she was a great worker, not promiscuous, always on time. Um, before she was killed, not promiscuous is how she was described. Before she was killed, she went to Schenectady, uh, New York, mm-hmm. to visit relatives with her Aunt Minnie. When they returned, Drew promptly quit her job on Pauling Avenue, where she worked for a Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute professor, and hopped on a trolley to Sand Lake. Uh, some of her family lived on the Tapperton Farm where she was walking. Um, most of her friends said she was upstanding. But after Drew's death, police realized that she and Minnie, her friend, were seen in motor cars and carriages with various gentlemen, and Minnie would not reveal who these gentlemen were. Yep. So she, um, in her daily life, was upstanding citizen, uh, professional, um, took care of her teeth, apparently, because <laughs> she had gold teeth. Um, but at night, she was running around with her best friend doing... Cocaine. If they, if they had access to cocaine, I'm sure she probably was. Um, 
Drew's death easily feeds into a cultural obsession with beautiful, vulnerable women, which is perhaps why it became fodder for television. Um, more a historian of um, the time period is especially interested in her death because he believes that it gives it it gives us a window into the past uh, and the society that was in place at the time. Um, she died in the midst of the Industrial Revolution when the wine and skill was being developed. Uh, and dammed to serve the mills and many small towns in Rensselaer County developed a close relationship uh, with various um, families in the area for recreation. Um, trolleys were running from Avril Park into the city where big hotels uh, would host dances and other activities. So not only was she you know, living in this time period where it was possible for her to do these things, running around in train cars with gentlemen, um, she was also living in a time period where it was dangerous for her to do that. Um, and this, uh, this murder was what would eventually inspire the double life of Laura Palmer, which I thought was interesting. Hmm. That's all I've got. Cheers to Hazel. To Hazel Drew. <clears throat> I almost thought about doing the murder one, but then oh, yeah. I didn't. Because on Wednesday before I went to, or before I started Halloween, I was waiting for this one to come back from the gym. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I'll finish watching. A Did you like it? I'm not actually seeing that one. Good. It's really good. It's, it's three hours long. It's yeah, very that's intense. But on about the train everyone's on forever, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And apparently they're making an HBO show about it. I swear I saw. Pre- who's who's behind that one? Like who's the creative? It's a Korean director who okay. originally did. Um, I believe he did uh, kung fu films. Okay. And you can tell when you watch the film, a lot of the um, action sequences are structured like kung fu films. Hmm. I see. I can yeah. see that. It was really well done, but the main character, Captain, yeah. from a uh, not another team movie. Yeah, not another teen movie. You played uh, the Human Torch, right? The Human Torch. So I thought I'd talk about Captain America. <laughs> Captain America. Cool. Something that Cameron knows nothing about. <laughs> right, we'll see. So I want you to chime in with other things I might be missing. Is this your second comic book? You did Wonder Woman. I did Wonder Woman, and I also did the Mascara. You did two the Mascara. Yeah. So Captain America is a fictional, not a real, a fictional superhero. So far, so good. That's what they want you to think. American comic books published by Marvel Comics. Well. Created by cartoonists Joe Simon and Jack Kirby, the character first appeared in Captain America Comics number one from Timely Comics, a predecessor of Marvel Comics. Am I on the right track? Okay, yeah. Okay, good. good. All right. Captain America was designed as a patriarch super soldier who often fought the Axis powers of World War II and was Timely Comics' most popular character during the wartime period. He punched Hitler in the face. He did punch Hitler And this was before the United States had gone to war. Yes. Jack Kirby hated Nazis so much, he just wanted to draw their guy killing one. Just punch him in the head. Didn't Mm -hmm. they show up at, like, his office one day and then disappeared before he could get down to fight them? I think so, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, he was ready to go. He was ready to go. Jack Kirby was built, for anyone who doesn't know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, big guy. The popularity of superheroes waned following the war, and the Captain America comic book was discontinued in 1950 with a short-lived revival in 1953. Since Marvel Comics revived the character in 1964, Captain America has remained in publication. Uh, Yep. Keep looking at you. Oh, that's true. (laughs) Uh, Do you have anything about the uh, Captain America revival in the uh, 50s? 
We're going to talk about it. I'm okay. Not, we're doing Wikipedia style. So now we're going to talk about the creation. In 1940, writer Joe Simon conceived the idea for Captain America and made a sketch of the character in costume. Quote, I wrote the name Super American at the bottom of the page, Simon said in his autobiography, and then decided, no, it didn't work. There were too many supers around. Captain America had a good sound to it. There weren't a lot of captains in comics. It was easy as that. The boy companion was simply named... Bucky, after my friend Bucky Pearson, a star in a high school basketball. Al Lieberman would ink that first issue, which was lettered by Simon and Kirby's regular letterer, Howard Ferguson. Uh, Lieberman, yeah, okay. I believe. Simon said Captain America was con- consciously political creation. He and Kirby were morally repulsed by the actions of Nazi Germany in the years leading up to the United States' involvement in World War II and felt war was inevitable. The opponents to the war were all quite well organized. We wanted to have our say. Mm-hmm. So now we get into the golden age. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not usually sitting this close to Rachel, so I can't usually look over her shoulder as she's reading. No, I'm just <laughs> Captain America, the first comic, right. was in March of 1941 on December 20th. Wait, cover dated March 1941 and on sale December 20th, 1940, a year before Pearl Harbor, but a full year into World War II. Show the protagonist punching... Nazi leader Adolf Hitler. Socking old Adolf in the jaw. Yeah. It sold nearly one million copies. While most readers responded favorably to the comic, some took objection. Simon noted, when the first issue came out, we got a lot of threatening letters and hate mail. Some people really posed what Cap stood for. The threats, which included menacing groups of people loitering out on the streets outside the offices, proved so serious that the police protection was posted with New York Mayor... LaGuardia personally contacting Simon and Kirby to give his support. LaGuardia liked the airport. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, he was named after that airport. <laughs> That's it. Um, My father built this airport. <laughs> circulation figures remained close to a million copies per month after the debut issue, which outstripped even the circulation of news magazines such as Time during that period. After um, Simon and Kirby team moved to DC Comics in late 1941, having produced Captain America comics through issue number 10, Al Avison, is that how you pronounce it? Uh, A-V-I-S-O-N? That sounds right. And Sid Shores became regular pencilers of... Um, that. <laughs> in the post-war era, with the popularity of superheroes fading, Captain America led Timely's first superhero team, the All Winners Squad. The All Winners Squad, yep. What a great name. It's a good name. And it's two published adventures in All Winners Comics, number 19 and 21. After Bucky was shot and wounded in a 1948 Captain America story, he was succeeded by Captain America's girlfriend, Betsy Ross, who became the superheroine Golden Girl. I remember that. Who was on the All Winners Squad? Uh... I don't know if it says on here. I think that was Namor in the Human Torch. Okay. And the Human Torch is Sidekick Toro. Mm -hmm. That's not the Johnny Storm Human Torch, not the Fantastic Four's Human human Torch. torch. It's the original Human Torch, who is, in fact, an android, who, um, I think he caught fire on accident. I don't think he was designed to catch fire. But he did on accident. He was just built that way. Then his sidekick was a human boy who could also catch fire. Comics. Um, Captain America comics ran until issue number 73, July of 1949, at which time the series was retitled Captain America's Weird Tales for two issues. <laughs> I love weird tales. I love, I love the, uh, the weird stuff from the, uh, 40s, 50s. Everything was groovy, strange sci-fi stories. <laughs> so, Atlas Comics attempted to revive its superhero titles when it reintroduced Captain America along with the original Human Torch 
and the Submariner. 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 Yep. And Young Men number 24 in 1953. Um, billed as Captain America. Call me Smasher. Captain America appeared during the next year in um, Young Men and Men's Adventures and other issues. Um, blah, blah. So now we're going to go to the Silver and Bronze Age, as you can see. Mm-hmm. And the Human Torch story titled Captain America in Marvel Comics. Um, Writer-editor Stan Lee and artist and co-plotter Jack Kirby depicted the brash young Fantastic Four member Johnny Storm, the Human Torch, in an exhibition performance with Captain America described as a legendary World War II and 1950 superhero who has returned after many years of apparent retirement. The 18-page story ends with this Captain America revealed as an imposter. It was actually the villain, the acrobat, a former <laughs> circus performer the Torch had defeated in Strange Tales, issue 106, who broke two thieves out of jail, hopping, hoping, <laughs> hopping, hoping to draw the police away while trying to rob the local bank. I don't know why I put them, but this just... Mm-hmm. Also, isn't it weird that Chris Evans was the Human Torch, and or is it not that weird? It... I don't know, with the amount of... Chris's? Yeah, with the amount of, like, young, hot, white Chris's, it seems like. It's uncanny that one of them was picked twice for... It's a little weird for, like, just um, the fact that both of them appeared in the same comic. Yeah. I think by Hollywood standard, it's it's pretty expected. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So Captain America was then formally reintroduced in the Avengers number four in March of 1964, which explained that in the final days of World War II, he had fallen from an experimental drone plane in the Atlantic Ocean and spent decades frozen in a block of ice and in a state of suspended animation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The hero found a new generation of readers as leaders of that superior team. Following the success of other Marvel characters introduced during the 1960s, Captain America was recast as a hero haunted by past memories and trying to adapt to 1960s society. Which is where uh, Marvel Studios came in. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to the modern age. I do skip quite a few things just because I get to more of the things that I want to, I know about. Yeah. yeah. So as a part of the aftermath of Marvel Comics crossover storyline in Civil War, Steve Rogers was actually killed in Captain America Volume 5 in March of 2007. And then he topped through time for two years. Yeah. The storyline of his return began in issue 600. Rogers, who was not dead but roaming through time, returned to the present day in a six-issue miniseries. At roughly the same time, that also happened to Batman. Oh, yeah. The, I feel it was during f- the Final Wars event, which may have been a year or two after. I think I was in college when this happened, actually. I don't remember that one. Um, Batman apparently gets killed by Darkseid. Okay. But he wasn't actually killed. He was sent back to caveman times and now keeps being reborn in different eras. So there was a pirate Batman. I remember that one. There was uh, like a Steam cowboy Punk. Batman. Yeah, yeah. There was like a steampunky Batman. Yeah. <laughs> So it was going back in time. Uh, that's Batman. That's not important. He reinvents his own legacy. You find out that Wayne Manor is the shape of a bat because Batman built it that way before <laughs> Thomas Wayne was even born. Anyway, Captain America. Anyway, Captain America. On July 16th, 2014, Marvel Comics announced that the mantle of Captain America would be passed on by Rogers, whom the most recent storyline has been turned into a 90-year-old man, to his longtime ally, the Falcon, mm-hmm. with the series being relaunched as... All new Captain America, which is what they're doing in the movies. They are, yep. Yeah. Um, Before that, uh, Bucky was Captain America for a while. When yes. Cap was presumed dead, Bucky yeah. took over. And he had a costume that was like a cool, like, tactical Captain America with, like, shiny metal armor <laughs> breastplate. Um, 
So Marvel announced that Rogers will become Captain America, though. Once again, in the comic series Captain America, Steve Rogers, the new series follows the events of Avengers Standoff, in which Captain America is restored to his youthful state following an encounter with a sentient cosmic cube, Kovic, and his past is drastically rewritten under the instructions of the Red Skull. Afterward, Captain America plots to set himself and Hydra in a position where they can conquer America and Marvel's secret empire. Yeah, that was when uh, everyone got mad because Captain America said, Hail Hydra, and they they just wrote him as a Nazi. Yeah, he was a secret oh, that's Nazi. Great. Yep. Yeah. That's a that's fun, shitty. fun twist. That's not a fun twist. The, it's a fun twist. It's, it's something they haven't done before, twist. so it must be good. The writer is a real asshole, too. I, I remember him like responding to criticism with, like, it's original content. It's like... But it's bad. There's tons content. of stuff that's never happened before yeah. in comics. It doesn't mean that it should. All right. So who is Steve Rogers, you ask? Because Cameron doesn't know. Steve Rogers was born on the Lower <laughs> East Side of Manhattan, New York in 1920 to poor Irish immigrants, Sarah and Joseph Rogers. Joseph died when Steve was a child and Sarah died of pneumonia while Steve was a teen. By early 1940, before America's entry into World War II, Rogers is a tall, scrawny, fine arts specializing in illustration illustration and a comic book writer and artist hmm sounds interesting yep disturbed by adolf hitler's rise to power roger attempts to enlist but is rejected due to his frail body i remember that from the movie that was in the movie yep his resolution attracts the notice of u.s army general chester phillips and is used as a test subject for the super soldier product receiving a special serum made by dr joseph reinstein mm-hmm Later, retroactively changed to a codename for the scientist Abraham Erskine. 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 Yeah. The serum is a successful and transform, or is is successful and transforms Steve Rogers into a nearly perfect human being. I think so, with peak strength, agility, stamina, and intelligence. The su- success of the program leaves Ers- Erskine. Erskine. Um, wondering about replicating the experiment on other human beings. The process itself has been inconsistently detailed. While in the original material, Rogers has shown receiving injections. Uh, when the or- origin is retold in the 1960s, Cos- Comic Code Authority had already put a veto over graphic description of drug intake and abuse, and therefore the super serum was, ret- um, was retconned. Yeah, retconned in an oral formula. That makes sense. Super Soldier the Serum is interesting. It's interesting how much of the Marvel Universe is built around other yeah. scientists trying to recreate the Super Soldier Serum. That's In some continuities, that's Hulk's origin. Um, in some continuities, that's Man-Thing's origin. I remember a few of, Wolverine comics where that was kind of the origin. Uh, part of Wolverine's or, uh, origin story is that um, the Weapon X program yeah. is actually Weapon 10. It's kind of dumb. They retroactively oh, decided oh. it was not X for X-Men. It was X for 10. And they made weapons nine, eight, seven, whatever, retroactively, and said that Captain America was Weapon Plus, which was the precursor to the Weapon X program. All right, I'm only going to think so in the 2000s. Okay. So in the aftermath of September 11th, uh, Steve Rogers reveals his identity to the world and establishes a residence in Red Hook neighborhood of Brooklyn, New York, as seen in Captain America Volume 4, Issues 1 through 7. Following the disbandment of the Avengers and Avengers Disassembled story arc, Rogers, now employed by S.H.I.E.L.D., discovers Bucky is alive, having been sent and deployed by the Soviets as the Winter Soldier gas. It was fun to watch the Winter Soldier movie with people that did not know I that. Know. It's, it, it was strange, because they did a good job of pretending that it <clears throat> was a big reveal, but yeah. anyone who'd read the comics knew that, like, yeah. we found that out ten years ago. Yeah. And yeah. I was very surprised watching it with my girlfriend. She did not recognize that it was the exact same actor as the last movie. <laughs> 
Rogers resumes his on-again, off-again relationship with S.H.I.E.L.D. agent Sharon Carter. Sharon Carter. After a massive supervillain breakout of the raft, Rogers and Tony Stark assemble a new team of Avengers to hunt the escape. In the 2006-2007 company-wide story arc Civil War, Roger opposes the new mandatory federal registration of superpower beings and leads the underground anti-registration movement. Mm -hmm. After significant rancor and danger to the public as the two sides clash, Captain America voluntarily surrenders and orders the anti-registration forces to stand down, feeling that the fight has reached a point where the principal origin cited, where the principal originally cited by the anti-registration forces have been. I think they do a really good job in the movie showing about how Captain America is just like, follow the rules to yeah. what told, and then he basically does his own story arc of well, he's chaotic good. He's yes. got, like, the yeah. moral center. Love it. He doesn't necessarily care about the rules. Oh, yeah. Exactly. And that's when he's at his best, is when yep. he doesn't mm-hmm. actually give yeah. a shit about the rules. I'm about to open a um, can of Truly, so you're about to hear a hiss. Sorry. There we go. <laughs> All right. And Captain America Reborn, issue number one in August 2009, reveals that Roger's is not dead. Oh, wait, sorry. In the previous comic, he's killed by Sharon Carter because she's been It reveals that Steve Rogers did not die as the gun Sharon Carter had been hypnotized into firing at Rogers caused his consciousness to phase in and out of space and time, appearing at various points in his lifetime. Although Steve manages to relay a message to the future by giving a time-delayed command to the Vision during the Kree Skull War, the Skull returns Rogers to the present where he takes control of his mind and body, and then Steve Rogers eventually regains control and with help from his allies defeats the wolf. That sounds so fucking convoluted. It's very convoluted, yeah. For comics, that's pretty par. So that's a little bit... It only, I guess, put me up to 2009, but I have a couple fun things. Fun facts about Captain America that I'm pretty... His shield wasn't always vibranium. His original weapon of choice was a triangular shield that befitted the star and stripes look of the time. However, um, MLJ magazines, which would eventually become Archie Comics, already had their own patriotic superhero aptly called the Shield. I know the Shield, yep. And Cap's weapon strongly resembled the symbol on the character's chest, so Simon and Kirby immediately created the second shield for issue number two, the one we still recognize. It's not just vibranium, it's vibranium adamantium alloy. So it's the Black Panther metal and the Wolverine metal together. Yep. But not in the movies, because Wolverine doesn't exist yet in the yep. movies. Because they hadn't bought out every other studio. Not nope. yet. In the actual story, the reasoning for the shield's change was a lot more elegant. During his missions in World War II, Rogers meets Chaka. T'Chaka. That is T'Challa, the yeah. Black Panther's father. T'Chaka, the chieftain of the African nation of Wakanda and the father of T'Challa, who will appear in the first, or who didn't Black Panther. Rogers receives a sample of the metal vibranium from Chichaka and brings it back to America when the metal is then used in experiments by Dr. Myron McLean. The shield is accidentally forged with the doctor having no knowledge of how to duplicate it. It is then presented to Rogers by FDR and because of its indestructibility and aerodynamic abilities, it replaced Rogers' gun as a main weapon. He was not an original member of the Avengers. Nope, the original members were Hulk, Thor... Uh, Iron Man, Ant-Man, and the Wasp. Mm-hmm. Despite the way many of the adaptations portrayed the story, the original Avengers lineup didn't include Cap. The team actually found him buried in ice in the fourth issue of the Avengers comic in 64. Great cover. While the founding Avengers were Thor, Ant-Man, Wasp, Iron Man, and Hulk. Mm-hmm. It was a test. <laughs> Captain America joined the team in the Hulk's place after the latter left because of the other's reactions to his uncontrollable powers. <laughs> 
Captain America soon received retroactive founding member status and was the only original member to stay on the roster when it changed soon after it to include Hawkeye, Quicksilver, and the Scarlet Witch. Do you know what the name is for that team of four? Avengers 2, new and improved. They are known, and this is true, Cap's Kooky Quartet. Shut up. That is the that is the name they used. That's terrible. Never like I officially like in the couple, but it was like in the margins or in the letters. It was like, stay tuned for more of Cap's Kooky Quartet. That's cute. And they were called that because it was Captain America and three former villains. That's terrible. Hawkeye was an Iron Man villain. Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch were originally members of the Brotherhood of Mutants. Over time, Captain America became indispensable to the team and even led them because of his vast tactical knowledge and battle experience creating the dynamic most movie fans are familiar with. Captain America still appears on the main team's roster today as Sam Wilson and has been in a number of different versions of the team, often as Rogers Wizard. And that is Captain America. Would you like to add in? Oh, you mentioned the iteration of Captain America in the 50s that fought the commies. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Marvel Comics, they uh, rectify that continuity with Captain America being frozen that entire time by saying it was a second guy. Uh, there was a second soldier. I do not remember his name now. But he was given a different variation of the super soldier serum in the 50s to fight communists during Cold War. Yep. Um, it drove him nuts. So he, he became, was he the hate monger? I cannot remember what name he went by afterwards. But he kind of became a Nazi villain. Okay. It was a common thing for characters to just suddenly become Nazi villains by going crazy in Cap Comics. Do you remember, was it Janet Van Dyne who came up with the name Avengers? It's definitely Janet Van Dyne, yeah. yeah. Of, of all the founding members, she was the one that was 10,000% into that superhero shit. And then she didn't appear in the movies? She didn't appear in the movies, no, because... Uh, because of a lot of things. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no. Janet Van Dyne rules. Uh, she's all about the superhero life. She changed costumes every week because she just loved making new costumes. Oh, wow. <laughs> she, she's a ton of fun. She's a great character. And it is an absolute shame that she's not in Avengers. Um, and then when they finally made an Ant-Man movie, they skipped Hank Pym, the Ant-Man, and Janet Van Dyne, the Wasp, in favor of Scott Lang, Ant-Man. And then they invented a new character to be Wasp. And it's really a shame because Janet's a great character. Yeah. I'm on the record as a huge fan of Hank Pym, too. I was fairly salty when they turned them into old people and made us watch a Scott Lang movie. I mean, I can understand them skipping his alcoholism and wife-beating. Okay, not to go on a long thing. That is... (laughs) In comics, there's a thing of uh, headcanon and just choosing to disregard bad writing. Yeah. And that whole iteration was the fact that the current Avengers creative team at that point didn't like Hank Pym and didn't know what to do with him as a character. That's so fair. they decided let's, let's exacerbate his angry uh, issues, have him yell at his wife and all the Avengers get mad at him. Yeah. The artist said, well, why yell when I can draw him hitting her? And they just decided to publish it because they did not care about the character that much. Whoa. And it's really stuck with him, unfortunately, because he's Ant-Man and what the yeah. hell else has Ant-Man ever done? And I recognize that as a huge Ant-Man fan, what the hell else is he known for? <laughs> But that's a uh, oh, uh, other interesting thing. You mentioned the super soldier serum and how Cap was the first recipient of it. Yeah. Uh, he wasn't. I didn't uh, say he was the first recipient. Well, you did I not say that. They gave him the serum. Before him, there was a man named, I believe, Isaiah Washington. It's in a graphic novel called Red, White, and Black, I believe. Oh, and it was America's Son? Uh, I don't remember what it was called. What was, the, what was, the, what was his superhero name? I don't he I don't know that he went under a superhero name. Okay. The thing was that it was a take on like the 
Tuskegee experiments, he was in an all-black platoon, and they decided before we use this highly volatile, dangerous serum on a white soldier, let's let's test it out. And they test it out on a black soldier, and it works, but they immediately shelve him because there's no way they're going to use a black man to be the Captain America symbol of hope and peace. So he kind of just quietly is like locked away in a closet by the government. Oh Captain America finds out about him after being frozen like decades later and meets him as an old man with Alzheimer's who does not remember any of it and just kind of like pays his respects and recognizes, Thanks, man, the government that sent me out to do this is kind of awful, aren't they? Thanks, racism. Yep. His grandson inherited the super soldier serum and is now the Patriot. So, hey, there's, there is a black guy going around with the super soldier serum. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's on a team that never shows up anymore, the Young Avengers. I don't know the last time he's made a comic appearance, but that's comics. Okay. Everyone likes to make new characters, and then no one else wants to use their new characters. Comics oh. are fun. Okay. Well, that's Captain America. Bye, Captain America. Yeah. All right, so camera. All right, so from Captain America, a character from the 40s with just years and years and years of reading material and mm-hmm. viewing material, I'm going to go for um, an equally important figure of American literature. I'm only going to say his name once, though. When I do, it's going to become obvious why. But I'm here tonight to talk about Beetlejuice. Oh, God. <laughs> so I'm sorry, what was that again? You're trying to trick me. Can we get that two more times? No. <laughs> no, from now on, he's going to be called the B-Man or Juicy Boy. Okay. Juicy Boy. All right, so the first movie, the only movie, came out in 1988, directed by Tim Burton, uh, best known for films like Pee-wee's Big Adventure and The Planet of the Apes remark- remake with Marky Mark, uh-huh. uh, starring Michael Keaton as the titular bio-exorcist B-Man, um, Winona Ryder as the teenager he tries to marry, That's right. Right. Uh, the principal from Ferris Bueller as uh, Winona Ryder's dad, uh, principal from Ferris Bueller and future sex offender Jeffrey Jones. As well as Gina Davis and oh, Alec Gina Baldwin Davis. as the heroes of our movie. Um, not here to talk about that movie. Not here to talk about the first Bee Ju- Juice movie at all. Are Who gonna... cares? I am here today to talk about the unmade sequel. Okay. Oh my gosh. You know, I'm going to say the name a second time because the title is incredible. Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. Shut up. It's an amazing... Oh, it's great. There is nothing to say about it. Uh, the, Wait, there is nothing to say about it. And the official, show. The official <laughs> Wikipedia entry like on the, the Bee Juice uh, fan wiki is literally one screen. I took a screenshot. It was the entire thing from the headline to the ad at the bottom. <laughs> There's nothing to say on this. Here we go. Here's everything I could find. Here we are. After the success of Burton's Batman movie, 1989, one year after Juice... Uh, the studio wanted a sequel to uh, BJ. They were like, this Tim Burton guy's hot. Hey, we just put out a movie of his last year. Let's get some Burton money. I think it's BG. BG? BG. Beetlejuice, oh, no, no, right? actually, no. Uh, the Galaxy Beetlejuice, which is different from the person, is pronounced, <laughs> is spelled B-E-T-E-L-G-E-U-S-E. You realize you just said it for a third time, right? But he's No, I said the Galaxy, not the yeah, person. Okay. It's different. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> So they wanted to go ahead with a sequel. Burton said he was okay with it. Uh, Ryder said she was down. Keaton said he was down. At about the same time, the studio put out a cartoon. And the cartoon's noteworthy because Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin's characters are nowhere to be seen. It's yep. just Lydia, her parents, and Juicy. I remember that cartoon. And um, he is really good. 
The character is much less creepy, much more comical, and much more heroic in this. He's often summoned to help Lydia with her problems. Mm -hmm. And he does it in a wacky madcap way, but he is generally a good character as far as undead zombie mischief maker goes. It was a Nickelodeon cartoon. It couldn't have been like Tim Burton. Yeah, I don't think it was on Nickelodeon. It aired on Nickelodeon like reruns at least, but I don't probably on CBS or something. They tend to air those kinds of shows. Um, so anyway, while it's going on, Warner brothers hires a man named Jonathan Jims to pen the sequel. And he goes with the Hawaiian theme. He combined the aesthetics of 1960s surf movies with 1920s German expressionism quote, because they're totally wrong together, which I disagree with. I think the key is knowing how and when to use the tiki's. I think that is the connection between the two of them. And I also think if you really want to see what this would look like, go look up the 1966 Batman episode where Batman and the Joker go on a surf contest. Oh my God. Who wins? (sighs) Of course, Batman wins. (laughs) Of course, Batman wins, but you've got the plot twist. It was Robin, the funky angles of an expressionist (laughs) movie. Plus the uh, surf vibes. Dude dressed up as a bat. No, I think that's exactly... I think that is a combined aesthetic that works perfectly. Uh, The plot, as far as we could tell, involved the Deets moving to Hawaii to build a resort. If you remember in the first movie, they invaded the Baldwin Davis house Mm -hmm. and turned it into this just artsy nightmare. Yeah. So they're going to go to Hawaii to build a resort. Uh, They don't realize they've built the resort on an ancient burial ground and have angered uh, the spirits that lived that inhabit there, including... Was it Mary who was asking, like, what was with ancient Indian burial grounds, like, when we watched, uh... Yeah, when we watched, When uh, we watched The Shining. The Shining, yeah. Uh, she was yeah, like, was they were just movie. all over 70s and 80s movies. Uh, the thing with horror films, I've seen this theory before, is that horror films represent whatever the culture that made it is most uh, shame, ashamed of. Yeah. That's why so many British horror films are set in the city, uh, because that's where the Industrial Revolution killed all their orphans. And that's why so many American horror films are set out in the woods or in the suburbs built over burial grounds because we are most ashamed of our expansion into um, stolen land. Mm-hmm. But anyway, back to the important stuff. <laughs> Not stolen land. So, yeah, speaking of stolen land and building on indigenous burial grounds, um, the leader of the spirits is called the Kahuna. And in order to deal with these spirits that are now ruining their nice resort they just built, uh, the Deets summon Beetlejuice to help them. Damn it. Uh, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. He's gone. You got it. Oh, man. Don't taint our house with this. That's right. Your house will stay here, won't he? Uh, So he challenges the Kahuna to a surfing contest. That's like the big climax of the movie, as far as we can tell. What is it? Um, He... When Juice challenges the sur- to a surfing contest oh, to beat okay, the uh, Kahuna, he to beat to defeat the spirit to yeah. exercise them because that's his thing. He's a bio exorcist, yeah. so he's there to dispel unwanted other spirits. Uh, it would also feature a scene where he transforms into a gigantic monster uh, crashing through the waves called Juicifer. Shut the fuck up! And at some point, he would find the time to try to marry the teenage daughter again. Oh I think he would hypnotize her a second time. Would she have still been a teen at that point? Um, when it was originally set to come out, which was probably like really early nineties, maybe, maybe she's still in like school in the first one. Okay. Uh, and at some point Lydia summons a tidal wave and drowns out the entire Island. That is literally all I could find on the plot. 
Um, after Jonathan Jims wrote the screenplay, it was shopped around to other writers, as things do. You know, hey, can you add any jokes to this? Can you make this make more sense? Mm-hmm. Like, let's get the best crappy, sterile, studio-mandated screenplay we can. Sequel. One of the writers it went to was none other than Kevin Smith, best known for his oh, films really? like Clerks and Cop Out, the movie starring Bruce Willis and Tracy Morgan. What was? Yeah, his best films. Yeah. Uh, was it Tusk, the the walrus Tusk, horror yeah. movie? Yeah. Um, Red State. Tusk, Red State, uh, Yoga Hosers. Yeah. Um, I heard an anecdote about Kevin Smith that uh, despite his character Silent Bob and his movies being known as big stoner comedies, yeah. Kevin Smith himself did not smoke that much until he met uh, Seth Rogen on the set of Zack and Mary Make a Porno. Really? Uh, that is what I've heard is that Seth Rogen got Kevin Smith way into pot. And then afterwards, every movie he made was based on a dumb idea he had while recording his podcast. Yep. Well, what about after he had his heart attack? I don't know. Well, he just had a movie come out, so it's a, another Jay and Silent Bob movie. Oh. I don't know whether he's still... Another Jay and Silent Bob movie? Out? It just came out, like, literally the other day. It was in limited oh. release. It's called uh-huh. Jay and Silent Bob Reboot, and it is a remake of Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Jay and Silent Bob are dismayed to find out that yet another movie has been made based on Blunt Man and Chronic. You know we have to watch this now, right? Oh, do we? You know what? I've seen every other Jay and Silent Bob movie. Might as well. <laughs> Where were we? Um, okay, so Kevin Smith. Smith looks at it and says, "Didn't we say all we needed to say in the first? Must we go tropical?" And the answer to that, of course, is no and yes. Make this movie happen. So anyway, Why didn't- um, it just didn't. Uh, everyone involved was really busy, and I think the studio eventually the property cooled off. Uh, but Burton, Ryder, and Keaton were all on board, at least in the anytime someone asks, they said, uh, yeah, I'm involved. If they're still involved, like, hey, I'm yeah, down with yeah. it. In I'll the same it. way that uh, Ron Perlman and Guillermo del Toro were both always like, yeah, I'm waiting for him to say yeah to Hellboy 3. So it's just kind of. Yeah, we do. It's a Strange Things guy. Yeah. I heard it was, like, terrible. I've heard mixed things. I've heard, mostly heard it's terrible, though. Yeah. But, uh. It's it... it's been out for a couple months now. Oh, yeah, one of the main reasons Burton did not go on to do this one was that he had another sequel on the way, uh, the 1992 Batman, Batman. Returns, yeah. which is the best live-action Batman movie, hands down. I will not be taking any questions or debating <laughs> this. It is a perfect movie. It is one of my favorite movies, like an all-time top five. Do not oh, add us. Really it's awesome. Danny yeah. DeVito as the Penguin, Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman. It's weird. Christopher Walken's there. It's... <laughs> It rules. Christian Walken's there. It's a slam dunk. Yeah. It rules. So yeah, lots over the years, lots of I'm in if they're in. And as of 1997, uh, the screenwriter said that the studio Geffen, kind of like worked with Warner Brothers to make the first one, still owned the script. And in that point in an interview, he suggested that Winona Ryder may have aged out of the role of Lydia Dietz if they wanted to still go with like a young girl and they may have to recast. So they're going to do a reboot in a year now is what I'm hearing. Uh, cut to 2011. Uh, Warner Brothers hires Seth Graham Smith, uh, author of Dark Shadows and Abe Lincoln Vampire Hunter, Dark Shadows being another Tim Burton movie, so right. he's collaborated, to write a new treatment. Uh, almost no word on what this one is about. Almost definitely had nothing to do with Hawaii, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it. Other than from 2011 to 2016, it was a lot more of every party involved saying, yeah, I'll do it if they do it, until... Just this April, Warner Brothers confirmed that the project was shelved, uh, most likely for not having enough tiki's or coconuts. <laughs> Only thing we know about the other project was that it had some some vague 
oh, what if he came back and now it's a uh, modern day and he just has to adjust to the world of 2016. It's like, who cares? That's, that's Austin Powers. That's, that's been yeah. done. I would love to see like a Beetlejuice slash Men in Black where Beetlejuice actually has to like go out and do spirit exorcisms in the modern day. Yeah. There's a lot of fun Beetlejuice, 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 Ghostbusters uh, crossover. Oh, oh. That makes sense. It yeah. makes it it makes way too much thematic sense. Yeah. And we're also deep in that time when um no new ideas are profitable. Yep. Uh you've seen it in the last few years, uh tons and tons of new Ghostbusters merchandise, new Goonies merchandise, new Gremlins, new just about anything that's not a major like comic book or Star Wars property, like anything that like people could reasonably get their hands on license wise is getting new stuff. And Beetlejuice is definitely part of that. He was in Lego Dimensions, he's in a live musical right now. So it's only a matter of time until they reboot, remake, or perhaps one of those Halloween 2018 style, let's bring the whole cast back and everyone loves watching old people do stuff. (laughs) Which, hey, Ghostbusters is getting one too. I think we're all going to be very happy to see how old uh, Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd have gotten. It's going to be just as good as the first one because now we're watching a bunch of 70-year-olds do it, and that's hilarious. It was great in Star Wars to watch uh, Han Solo fight again because he looked great and looked like he liked to be there. (laughs) The things I loved when I was a kid are good forever and will always be good. Let's yep. just keep bringing them back. I don't want new things. We're not in a state of arrested development at all. Oh, my oh. God. No, the world's not dying. Capitalism isn't ending. We're not <laughs> in the late stages. We're not... Things are good. Things are good. That needs to be the name of our podcast now. Things are good. No, in a whisper. Whispers. That's about all I had to say on the subject. Anyone got any questions about um, Hawaii? What's your favorite part of the <sighs> Oh, that's tough because they don't go to Hawaii in that one. Yeah, I mean it's okay, but there's no Hawaii. Um, it's got to be the 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 Deo, the uh, dinner table scene mm. where Baldwin and Davis are possessing everyone to make them dance to the Deo song. That's, yeah, that's just a classic. We've got that on our. It's... We've got a. My girlfriend and I have a Halloween YouTube playlist. Just yeah. nothing of old commercials, movie trailers, favorite scenes from Halloween movies, weird local television stuff music videos and the deo scene is definitely there okay good you uh the part when they do the claymations and they're changing their faces so he like shifts his face and puts his hand up his head and it's got the imprint of it that's good too she pops her eyes out and it's got the it's all practical effects so it it doesn't look great but you can tell that they put time and effort into it the thing with practical effects is they look just as good now as they did then yeah practical effects age like water it's they're fantastic right what about you? It's been so long, I only remember like Scream. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to watch this fucking movie now. Do oh, you remember great. when he's in the um, the graveyard? The... I'm telling you, I saw this movie like 15 years ago. The okay. graveyard's a fun set because it's a miniature, and then they zoom in on him, and he's standing on like the green foam like yeah. eggshell bed stuff, yeah. like the mattress thing. It's great. You can tell it's like they try to make it look like he's in a giant miniature, and that's, that's, that's a hard effect to do. So I guess I gotta find Beetlejuice now. We can we can probably just run it. It's the right season for it. If you got got five bucks to spare, it's in the bargain bins everywhere right now. Easy. Yeah. This is the great season for (laughs) bargain bin hunts. I just got all five phantasms for under ten. Oh nice. Yeah, they were just in a cheap little box set at Walmart. Have you seen Phantasm? 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 Uh, it's a it's a cult classic. Yeah, it's not it's, really popular, but okay. it's it's I you were about a video game. it's no. amazing. Uh, it's I don't even know where to start on that one. 
so the villain is like a uh, he's a mortician right the tall man the tall man yes he's a mortician um, he's a tall scary looking old man Great. played by a guy with the best old man name ever angus scrim Ew. <laughs> and just um bodies start disappearing from the grave yeah. around the morgue and then suddenly people start disappearing from the town and it's like god what's he doing in there yeah <laughs> And he's got these silver balls, just these silver spheres that hang in the air, not on strings at all. It looks great. (laughs) And they fly towards you. And when they get close, knives come out of them and they just stab you in the head. And then, oh, it's awesome. It was made for like $12 and you can kind of tell that it was made for $12, but it, they did a lot with what they had with their $12, with their $12. Three or four years ago, actually, um, J.J. Abrams, in a rare good move by J.J. Abrams, did an incredible digital remastering of it. It looks great yeah. now. He also helped pro- finance the fifth one, which just came out a couple years ago. I've heard it's not good. I've not seen it. Uh, that's the post-apocalypse one. I've heard yeah. that. It's not great, but it is a it is a phantasm movie. Yeah. Hey. I think... So the, that wasn't part of your bargain today? It's in the box set. It's I haven't seen box. it yet, though. Yeah. I've only seen the first three, actually. I just knew, like, I need oh, these. Okay. Is the third one where he's time-traveling... Uh, the third one is the one where I think there is a little time travel. Because they walk through just like these little, two. Just a dash of time travel. There's just two like uh, spikes in the desert, and they yeah. walk between them and they time travel. That may have been the fourth one then. Because okay. the third one is the one where they meet um, the little kid who's like a Home Alone kid, but he's actually brutally murdering people. Okay. And they meet um, oh, they meet a black woman, and she's like just in that movie. And they, uh, the entire movie exists just because one of the actors found this huge mausoleum in Compton and was like, we have to make up a new movie because we need yeah. to film here because the set's awesome. Cool. Fun thing with that series is that it's the same cast every movie, uh, and the series spans like 50 years. Yeah. And in the first one, the villain is crazy old, so you can imagine how crazy old he is like 50 <laughs> years later. Really old? Very old. Very old. <laughs> the oldest. All right, I hear sirens in the background, mm-hmm. so they're probably coming to arrest us for uh, how long this podcast is. Um, do you guys want to get out of here? Mm-hmm. That sounds good to me. Yep. All right. uh, as always, you can find us at our website, uh, uh, Uh I have two books out for sale. I just got an uh, email from my first publisher about um, In the Shadows of My Mind today. Um, if you want to support me, please buy in the shadows of my mind and red hats and black masks. Mm-hmm. Uh, Katie has artwork up on the website. She is open for commissions. Um, we have music from Joshua Paul Brooks. Um, what else do we have? I have short stories up on the website as well. And all of my short stories are free. Um, we are on Facebook at absent activism arts. Uh, we are on Twitter at absent act arts. Uh, I am on Instagram at AWM Rights, and I have a lot of pictures of Mercury, mm-hmm. who is in timeout right now because he would not try it. Uh, he would not stop trying to hump Cameron. Um, I have. Or oh, you're just jumping on me. Yeah. Um, I've been I know what it's like. <laughs> I am on the Fediverse at AWM Rights on Mastodon and um, Jibberfish. Um, and uh, go check out our friend. Uh, Christine Renee Farley on Facebook. She has a lot of great videos up. She was in a Halloween fan film. Um, go check her out. She's amazing. Um, Cameron, do you have anything you want to plug? 
Uh, I'm on Twitter at Cameron Schimmel. That's S-C-H-I-M-M-E-L. I kind of just post personal stuff. Uh, this month I've been going through <laughs> horror Four movies. Films. Yep, uh, I'm trying to watch at least 31 new ones, ones I've never seen before. That's what I'm kind of going for this year. What did you watch today? Uh, today I watched Cube Zero. Cube Zero. It's the prequel to Cube. In the first one, they're in a cube. And in the second one, Hypercube, they're in a Tesseract. Mm. This one, they're in a cube again. I kind of, it was a prequel. I was kind of hoping they'd be in 2D space. (laughs) But what can you do? Um, So yeah, I'm just kind of posting the movie posters, directors, and then kind of giving a little blurb on what I thought about it. Uh, Highlights so far. I can't believe I haven't seen this before. Go check out Slumber Party Massacre. It it rules. It fucking kicks ass. (laughs) It's so good. It is a weird, not self-aware, but very funny um feminist subversion of slasher tropes if you're coming out in like 1981 it's really incredible how much it has the uh genre like pegged down it's awesome the killer has a giant power drill he's known as the driller killer uh dead bodies in fridges they eat pizza it rules (laughs) sounds good uh rachel you have anything you want to plug no i want to end it on dead bodies in fridges and pizza it rules Sounds good. All right. Uh, We'll be back in two weeks. We love you and take care. Under the tongues of men lie the simple truths of terror. But my love's eyes make bright the night skies and clears the stormy weather. In the rain, I'm like a wet dog in my hunger. It intensifies. But the thunder clears all of my mind sounds and the fear it is justified. The lightning scorches the plains, the fantasies go up and flame. The distinguished author goes insane, but my love, she remains just the same.